I lead with, do you want to be a badass at what you do? And most people are like, well, yeah. Although some people are like, I already am. Right, right. <laughs> right? So then I say, okay, so what happens when you face extreme challenges that are going to test that badassery that you have? Like what skill sets do you have to lean, you know, to fall back on in those moments? Welcome to the Forging Metal Podcast with your blacksmiths, Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden the f*** up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open. Thanks for joining us again this week. Janelle McCauley, retired lieutenant colonel from the U.S. Air Force, 20-year combat pilot and veteran commander. She has a PhD. She spends a lot of time both in the military and now that she's out uh, working on high performance and leadership and running the company today called Warrior's Edge. We're so excited to have her join us. And Janelle, I want to welcome you to The Forge, first of all. We are so honored to have you as part of our Forging Metal podcast. You have recently kind of gotten together with a very interesting crew. You've got uh, Pete Carell and Michael Gervais that are both coaches for the Seattle Seahawks. You've got two Olympic volleyball medalists, Nicole and Courtney, on your team, and a West Point grad in Matt Brady to create this company called Warrior's Edge. Such an impressive team. What is it? What are you guys doing? (laughs) That's a great question. And I'm really glad you led off with that. I'm just really excited to be here today with you and your listeners. So Warrior's Edge really came out of a combination of expertise and a collaboration between myself, Mike, and Pete. And, you know, as you alluded to, Pete's the coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Mike is a sports psychologist and kind of mindset and performance coach. And the three of us realized, and it was actually funny to to mention, I was on Mike's podcast as a guest. So that's how I kind of got connected with him, his Finding Mastery podcast. And we realized shortly after meeting that the three of us had these distinct ways that we were discussing mental skills training in each of our spheres of influence. So for Pete, he was really innovative starting at USC and then working his way up to the Seahawks and how he instituted mental skills into the framework of a football club. And then Mike was doing the same thing, working with elite athletes, Olympic athletes in particular, as well as individuals who really push the boundaries on human potential, the people that do crazy things like jump out of a plane without a parachute or jump from space without knowing if their arms and legs would fall off, right? These kind of people who push that 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 envelope. And so he has worked in that mental skills space for a while as well. And then I was really innovating at the same time in the military, right? This was something that the military never, we had a capability gap. We still technically have a capability gap in the way we formally train our minds to be our best and excel, especially in high stress environments. Now, each of us had operated and worked in different types of high stress environments, right? We in the military do it where lives are on the line. We have to make these disciplined split second decisions and they in the you know elite athletic sport and on a world-class stage have very similar moments of high pressure. And so we each kind of combined our efforts and thought, gosh, we're really on to something with respect to formalizing this type of training. And maybe we can take all of our intellectual property that we've been building with our own teams, 
build, you know, put it together and then offer it as a training opportunity for those who need it most. So Warrior's Edge is really catered and focused on government workers, healthcare workers, military, law enforcement, first responders, people who do really truly operate in those high stress environments um, that require those those decision-making skills to be really at the, the top of their game, especially under pressure and stress. So that's kind of what, where it came from. And we teach 16 principles of mindset and to include grit and, you know, trust, mindfulness, all the kind of key ingredients of mental toughness, optimism, control, calm, focus, and recovery. And so we teach them either in a workshop, a live training workshop, or in a digital format that's self-paced. That, that's so awesome. And it resonates with me so much. Do you think, Janelle, that... Where do we get this training? I mean, I mean, right now, and I get this question from my students that they go, why don't we learn this stuff in, in our educational system? Why don't we learn about mental skills training? Why do we not learn about how the brain works and, and how to work better with it? Why do you think we kind of miss this in our educational system? Or do you believe that? Do you agree with me? No, I do. I agree with you. I think the interesting part is that if you look back into the ancient traditions of like an ancient warrior, having a disciplined mind, training their mind was just what they did. It was part of their culture. It was part, right? So everything that we teach really is rooted in, we're just trying to reconnect, right? With that ancient warrior, especially in those military circles. That's what I tell people all the time. Like somehow through these centuries, we've lost our connection to that. We've become so focused in the hustle and so focused on certain aspects of our training, which I would include our craft. So our job specific expertise and our bodies, right? We do understand those two and we understand the importance importance of them. However, we've lost that connection with our ability to train our minds. And I think part of it is because we live in a culture today of competitive stress. That's kind of what I like to call it. That's the best way I've found to describe how we work in this environment where it's all about the hustle. It's about the go, go, go. It's about, you know, overscheduling ourselves and our value being tied to like the uniforms we wear or the jobs we have instead of really who we are. And I think that's where we're going down a, a, a very poor direction for our society and we can redirect with the third aspect of how we can train ourselves as human beings and that's training our minds. And I just think it's partly stigmatized in our culture today, right? When we talk about proactive mental health strategies, it, 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 which is what I really think a lot of training our mind is, it's, it allows us to build the mental strength and resiliency to do things that require the being potentially exposed to psychological and emotional trauma, which I think most of us can say even today, COVID, political discourse, social injustice issues, right? Like all those things that are happening can create some universal trauma for almost anyone. So it's become something, and then don't get me started on digital devices, right? And how <laughs> Me neither. Right. So all of those demands put a lot of drain on our cognitive capacities and our ability to stay present and in the moment, which I think is what our ancestors were really good at. And with that, plus the stigma, I just think we are a little bit slower as a society to embrace that type of training. But I think we're there. We're at the precipice, right? Because we need a solution to our, to what the challenges we face today. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it brings to mind, uh, the, the, you're probably familiar with this, but for the listeners, the ancient, I, I didn't know this until I started studying Stoicism, but, but the ancient Greeks, 
the, the word gymnasium, if you go back and look at the, you know, the, the way that, the, that they used to train athletes, you know, 2000 years ago, is they not only trained the body, but they also trained the mind. They would have philosophy and, and intellectual things that, that they also trained these athletes to do. So I think somewhere, like you said, somewhere along the line, we lost track of, of that's valuable to be reflective and to, to think about things and, and, and be introspective. So I think we're both trying to do the same thing. I'm trying to kind of push this mission that I think we need more of this. We need to see this in our educational system. Absolutely. I would love to see like cognitive combatives, right? Like as a just, you know, uh, course that's offered. And I think it, and I don't know if you found this in your work as well, but most of the time people are, they understand the physical gym, right? Like if I was going to build a physical gym for them or give them some gym equipment, they're like, okay, how much does that cost? Like, you know, where do we put it and how do we, you know, use it? But when you're talking about like a mental gym or training your mind or doing mental push-ups, like it just seems like such a foreign idea that people have a really hard time grasping. But I do use the term mental push-ups with a lot of the populations I work with because I think it at least gives them the aha of, well, I realize I have to do physical push-ups to build physical strength. So it would make sense that I would have to do mental push-ups to build corresponding mental strength. And that's really what I'm asking people to do is just engage with that mental side of their human physiology and train it just like they would anything else. Because what are the, you know, you talked about the challenges that we're facing, but what are the the negative extremes to not tapping into some of these, these tools? Like, you know, and Ron and I have talked about it and you know, and I think many of our listeners have heard that, you know, 20 veterans a day commit suicide. And I think suicide rates are even up for the civilian population with everything that has been thrown their way this past year. Like, what are some of the long-term effects to people that are exposed to like high stress environments and trauma, which at this point, I think the majority of people have had to some extent, what are we looking at there? And then what are your, some of your tools of how to work through that? I think some of the struggles come from kind of two areas. The first is the, when we are faced with stress and adversity, and I like to say stress is a perceived emotion. Right. Many people think like, oh, I just have a lot of stress in my life. (laughs) Well, that's how you see your life. Right. That is how you're interacting with the environment around you. So you're perceiving it as something that's overwhelming. And the calculation you're making inside your head is that I don't have the resources to meet the demands of this particular moment. Uh, instead of right flipping that dialogue and doing the work ahead of time to train our minds to have better thoughts. Right. And to be able to better adapt to adversity and challenge as we face it. Because in absence of that, those psychological skill sets, our brain will go into survival mode. And when we go into survival mode, right, the distress, the stress response where we're fight, flight, or freeze, we immediately go toward more emotional decision-making. And that's rarely a space where we're going to be high-performing or building a sustainable path for our high-performance, especially in many of these high-risk occupations that I work with. And so survival mode is not helpful for us, right? So we need to layer in these psychological skill sets so that when we're faced with those challenges, those pressures, those traumas, all those things that are coming at us, those demands, we can have a better calculation. We can regulate ourselves and our sympathetic nervous system, right? In a a way that enables us to make clear, rational choices 
you know, better decisions. We like to say, I work with special operators and we have a motto that was slow is smooth, smooth is fast. And what that really means is we need to take a step back sometimes. And that is very difficult for people who are used to being sympathetically activated, right? Like taking that step back can be very uncomfortable. So that's the second thing, right? The first one is we haven't built the psychological skill sets to get out of survival mode. But then the second aspect is we actually are trained in many high-stress occupations to be sympathetically activated, right? Like to, and to find comfort in that high-risk space because that's what our jobs require. But the problem is, is we don't also correspondingly exercise and teach the parasympathetic, right? That rest, relax, restore, recover space. So I think a lot of veterans struggle with you know, going on a deployment where they may be okay, then they come home and now they're trying to reintegrate with their families, with their tribe, with their life back home. And that can be a struggle. And many times they really, it leads them to maladaptive coping to those, those challenges and those struggles, substance abuse, high risk behaviors, driving motorcycles really fast, you know, emotional um, abuse, like with their families and It just because it gives them that sympathetic high that we can become addicted to. And that's very dangerous. So that's why it's not just a capability gap with training our minds. I think there's a capability gap in these high stress occupations is how we just train someone to operate in those environments. And that's why I think this work is so important, because many of us, when we're in those dark times where our thoughts can betray us and tell us stories that are not rooted in any truth, but they can be so powerful because our minds are powerful at time travel. That's where we need to be empowered with new and better resourcing to make better decisions and better choices. Boy, I want to focus on the first thing you said, talking about, you know, Transient moderate stress. A lot of people think that the stress is all bad. And we all know, I think on the call here, that chronic stress is bad. And, and, and we need to learn to turn that stress cycle off. And I know you, there's probably a hundred different answers on how to do that. And what's a good way to say, I need to turn it off. Maybe release that pressure valve from time to time to kind of reset my system and maybe engage the parasympathetic nervous system. Is there any, any quick tip that you would have for our listeners? So none of my tips are quick. <laughs> okay, okay. Fair, fair answer. <laughs> so I, I don't give any hacks um, or tips or, because here's the thing, this stuff is hard work, right? If it was easy work, we would all be emotionally re- regulated human beings that, you know, made rational decisions and could have constructive conversations. <laughs> but the, the sure fact of the matter is that we, we are human beings that operate on a lot of emotion. And inside that stress response, because of a lot of times the chronic stress we experience or that we see everything as a threat instead of seeing it as an opportunity or seeing it as a challenge or like you were just talking about, there's good stress and bad stress, right? Distress is bad. You stress, right? The stress to get your edge and to be high performing. Like a lot of people think, well, if I feel that that's physiological symptom of stress, that means you know, I'm anxious and I'm not prepared for this moment. Well, really a little bit of that activation means that what you're about to do matters, right? It means like you care about whatever it is that you're going to do. So of course you're going to get a little bit of that, that stimulation. It's just when we get overstimulated and now we can't think or focus or, you know, make those rational um, decisions. 
So, you know, part of the solution to this, to kind of stay on the eustress side, to help understand that recovery and parasympathetic space is I, I teach mindfulness. And if you look at, you know, if you, this is the interesting thing. If you look at the research in physical exercise, hundreds of thousands of published articles in that space to tell us that physical exercise builds physical strength in the mental space. It's even though it's an ancient you know, we've been using it for years because we've lost our connection. The modern day research just is lagging. So I think that we're building the case now. And if you do look at the research in the space of performance and being able to stay present and focused when you're in a high pressure environment, mindfulness is the leading skill set that can get us there. And like I said, there's nothing quick and easy about a mindfulness practice, right? This requires work. It requires dedication. It requires commitment. All the things that in our modern life are really not prioritized, if I'm being honest. So mindfulness and having that practice is probably the best place um, for, pe- for people to start because I like to say the majority of the catastrophes you will experience inside or in your life will only happen inside your mind. It will feel very real but because that's how powerful our minds work, but they will only happen inside our heads, right? We cognitively elaborate and create stories. So mindfulness helps us release that, right? It gives us what I call command of your mindset. So instead of your mind commanding you, you make sure that your thoughts, your words, and your behaviors and actions are in alignment with how you want them to be. And mindfulness, I think, is the best skill set for us to get that alignment and to stay in the present moment. And so that helps us kind of clear out and have a different relationship with the thoughts that are inside our head. So we can choose which thoughts we're going to follow and which thoughts are just there to acknowledge and then kind of let go. And then the second aspect of that, right? So you can kind of clear out some of those thought patterns and really live what I call on the play button, right? Of your mind. Then the second thing is now layering in the psychological skill sets like grit and control and focus and calm and layering in those things so that now you can make sure you're creating the right types of thoughts that will help you excel in those environments. So only because you've been working in the field of mindfulness, both in the military and now out of the military, and for quite a long time, I'm going to ask you the really hard question. And it's not a hack. Uh, I'm with you. There are no hacks to mindfulness, but... For anybody that's listening, and I can think of tons of friends of family, friends and family of my own, that it's easy to say, you just need to figure out how to be mindful. You have got to be self-aware. And these are, you know, I hear it with entrepreneurs. How do I start? Like, great that you're telling me how to be mind, or that I need to be mindful. But what does that mean? Do I need to meditate? Does it mean I need to like read books? Like, what is the first step to someone that says, help how do I take your first step, Janelle? What is the first step to the first step? <laughs> yes. No, that's a great question. So I teach mindful minutes because I think that it's a, it's, it has a beginning and an end that's not too overwhelming to think about, right? I can do something for a minute. And then what I ask people to do is to try to do 12 of those, you know, 10 to 12 mindful minutes throughout their day. And the reason why I, I, and and people can do and sit 20 minutes and do mindfulness as well, right? Like that is another really great way to just, if, if you can do that, right? 
many people that's difficult, not only to carve out 20 time, 20 minutes in one sitting, but also to actually sit there and do that exercise with your mind for those full 20 minutes. So what I have personally found, especially with I tend to be a highly anxious person based on, you know, my background and my combat experiences, right? Like I, I tend to, to have anxiety. So if I do my 20 minutes in the morning, I was finding that by like two o'clock, I'm already kind of losing it again, right? Mm-hmm. Like my kids are driving me crazy and then the traffic's driving me nuts. And so what I found was that I, I still do some, a few minutes in the morning, but what I found is when I do these sporadic mindful minutes throughout the day, I can cultivate that mindful awareness for a longer period of time. So that, that's the first aspect of it. So if, so for those out there that are like, I don't even know how I can start, I would start with the mindful minute. And you can do it just anchored on your breath, which is free and always with you. So you don't need an app for it either, right? Like you just need one minute in silence. And I teach people how to use this minute and and I'll teach you guys. We'll do this. We'll do this together. So I teach them how to do a mental push-up. So what I mean by that is that we, in order to train our attention system, because that's really what we're training, to stay more in the play button, you want to think of it like a flashlight, right? And it can be laser focused at what's going on in front of us, but then it can also be laser focused internally at our thoughts and our feelings and our emotions, right? So we want that flashlight external. So we're going to train our flashlight with our mental pushups to stay externally and on that play button, right? In the moment. So the most prominent thing that's in our like moment ever that happens moment by moment is our breathing, right? So I want you to focus on a particular sensation of your breathing. Cause if I just say focus on your breath, there's a lot of sensations that happen. So pick one, maybe it's the way you feel the air going in and out of your nostrils. Maybe it's the rise or the fall of your belly or chest, right? So I want you to pick that particular sensation and focus intently on it for the entire minute. Now, in the span of the minute, you will get distracted. You will have a thought pop into your head, right? And you'll think about something. When that happens, I like, I'd like you to envision your flashlight. Step one is even realizing that the flashlight is turning in a different direction, right? And it's following a thought. So step one is awareness. I have a thought. Second step is just let it go. Acknowledge the thought. Don't try to like push it down or like push it. Like you're just let it go. I'm not going to pay attention to you right now. I'm going to come right back to my breathing. So it's a, it's really loss of focus, awareness, let it go, refocus. And you go back to your breathing. And every time your attention system drifts off and comes back, you are doing a mental pushup. You are strengthening that flashlight to live more on the play button. All right. You guys want to try a minute together? Should we do it? Sure. Let's do it. Ron, Ron's big in this area. So he's, he's loving this. Hopefully I'm teaching you something new, Ron, or maybe you have a way. I I actually am going to use some of this with my students. Awesome. 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 All right. So I usually ask to start with just like a nice inhale and exhale, kind of relax through your shoulders. You can keep your eyes open or closed. If you leave them open, maybe just kind of soften your focus down the bridge of your nose to limit distractions. And we're going to do this in silence. All right. We ready? And go.
and stop. All right. How many push-ups did you guys do? <laughs> Too many to talk about. <laughs> it's totally it's, cool, right? Well, you know, you, uh, there's, there's so many things here. That, all right. We're on a podcast. We're doing a podcast and we're taking a minute of silence. In my, in my mind, I'm like, oh, what are we doing? We got to be doing something. So yeah, th- there's a little bit of that freak out. Yeah. People get uncomfortable with just sitting. Like we don't even just think back to the last time you were in line at the grocery store or you were sitting at the doctor's office waiting for your appointment time, or you were sitting at a red light, like everybody pulls out their phone. And many times we do it without even awareness, right? We pull it out, we start scrolling on something. And then the next thing we know, we're like, oh my God, I've been on my phone for like 10 minutes. (laughs) We can't even just sit still anymore. Like we've become a culture that constantly needs to be stimulated. And so when we, when I ask people just sit in silence for like a minute, they're like, what? (laughs) That's strange, right? Like we just- Right. But it's so powerful as you know. So yeah. So I like to teach the mindful minute as a way to start, right. To baby step it, to just, you know, try to start integrating. I can do a minute. I can take these deep breaths. I can focus on my breathing and when I get distracted, come right back to it. You know, and the more you do it, the more you're cultivating that sense of mindful awareness, the more you're living more present, you know, that the statistic is that we spend half of our waking moments, not paying attention to what's going on in front of us. So that's a very real problem, you know, with most of us that it affects our relationships or connection or trust, whether you're a leader or a parent or um, a spouse, right? Like that can um, really uh, impact that. So the mindful minutes are easy. They're micro bites, right? Of this training. And I like to do it. I'll give just a couple for your listeners to figure out where they can kind of do it. When I like take my kids home from school or anytime like we get home and it's maybe a chaotic traffic ridden ride or whatever it is, we pull into the garage, like my kids go inside and I literally sit in my car and I do a mindfulness, right? Like I just take some deep breaths before I walk into the house, right? I, I do that as I transition from work, even if it's work at home, right? To home. And because transitions are very powerful. So I use my mindful minute as an ability, as a way to like, I'm starting my day, I do a mindful minute. I'm ending my day. I'll do a mindful minute. If I can, I try to get outside during the day and do my mindful minute outside. There's something very powerful about nature, getting the oxygen, all that. So that's a great way to start. That's where I would suggest. And I think that's a great suggestion. When I have the lecture for, for my students, when I have them try this, I get a lot of responses. Of uh, Here's one that I get. I can't turn off my thoughts. And so what would you say to that? So for that, that's why they need this skill set, right? Like the people, that was me. I remember I was a lieutenant, I was in pilot training and someone said, oh, you've got such a high stress life. You should try yoga. And the whole time I was in that hour yoga class, all I could think about was how I was wasting my time, how I don't need to be here. I should be doing other things. Why am I here? And I couldn't shut my mind off. And then especially when they told me to lay down and do Shavasana, I was like, no way. Like I can't, this is not me. Not, and so I said, this is not for me, right? That became the dialogue in my head. I can't do that. So it's not for me. The thing is all human beings can do it. All human beings need to do it. And especially if your mind is super active, you need it most. Right. Well, like, would you say that uh, I like to say that we can't turn it off. It, the thoughts still come and go. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Absolutely. So we're, we're trying to quiet the mind. Is that the right way to put, kind of think of it? Absolutely. Quieting the mind is exactly the phrase um, to use. Yeah. Because again, like, it's not like you're never going to have, like, you don't want to push down the thoughts, right. To kind of just build up that trauma inside. And it's more about 
understanding the relationship you have with your thoughts, right? And having the power to choose which thoughts are meaningful to you, which thoughts are going to be productive for you instead of just letting them all come at you and overwhelm you or letting the thoughts that, because how many times, here's a, here's a perfect example of what happens to people. You send an email and the person does not write you back. We all create a story around that, why that person didn't write us back, especially if it was something that we needed an answer to, right? And now many times we don't assume best intent. Many times we say, oh, Bob's such a jerk because he didn't send, you know, answer my email. And I bet Bob is, is sitting or, or, or we start judging ourselves. It's because I put capital letters in that one word and now Bob's mad at me, right? I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do that? And then you're going to think about it in this pit in your stomach for like a whole day, just about that one email, And so we create a lot of thoughts that are not rooted in any reality because for the fact of the matter is, is that Bob was on vacation and he forgot to put his out of office reply on, right? Like there's no story, but we create them. So I like to say, you know, mindfulness helps us have a better relationship with our thoughts. And that's really just, there's three levels of mindfulness. The first one is just like understanding our breath. The second one is disconnecting from thoughts. And then the third one is letting our inner wisdom reveal, right? And so that's kind of like that advanced layer of where not only can we disconnect from thoughts, but that we can choose the ones that are most appropriate and um, powerful to us in those moments love how these podcasts always come back to the narrative we create and how powerful and important that is. That is, it's just so beautiful. I, I'm going to ask Janelle, because you have spent time in combat. I spent time deployed in the Air Force as well. Veterans and uh, active duty military bringing in the concept of slow down and become mindful and sit with your thoughts and let the emotions and become aware can be actually a really daunting thing. And I don't know the military does, at least 10 years ago when I was in, they don't do a very good job of uh, promoting that type of mental activity very well. And I think potentially with some of the people, I think of our, our frontline medics, And with all the fires in the U.S., all of our firefighters this year would probably agree. Maybe even the stay-at-home schooling their parents or schooling their children parents will say the same thing. I don't have time. If I do that, scary things will happen. If I open my brain to my emotions and mindfulness and awareness, oh God, that's no, no, no. I need to be strong. I need to be powerful. And I need to just kind of stuff all that down. When you have people that uh, come at you with that argument, now, what do you say? Because I think that's a pretty, vi- I hear it all the time. I don't, entrepreneurs, I don't have time to sit down and be with my thoughts. My whole life will fall apart. <laughs> no, that's perfect. That is definitely some of the skeptics, right? will either argue, I don't have time um, to practice this. It's, oh, I've been cri- criticized as someone who is teaching the military, like soft, like these soft, fuzzy skills when- <laughs> Anyone who just doesn't understand what these skills are would call them soft and fuzzy and easy. And as we all know, they're not easy. They're extremely challenging. They're difficult. They require commitment and hard work. That's why I, I don't think that, you know, any hacks or easy buttons, right, are, are in the world of mindset because they just, they simply aren't, especially in the world we live in today. 
And so what I like to say is I I always, I lead with the science and I change the messaging. Normally I don't say things like, do you want to build resiliency? And do you want to like, you know, feel better about yourself, which are all benefits of the things I teach, but that's not usually what I lead with. I lead with, do you want to be a badass at what you do? And most people are like, well, yeah. Although some people are like, I already am. (laughs) So then I say, okay, so what happens when you face extreme challenges that are going to test that badassery that you have? Like what skill sets do you have to lean, you know, to fall back on in those moments? So when people say they don't have time, my first question is, well, how often do you sit at your desk working on an email, working on some type of task or some type of professional paper you have to do or a performance report? And it takes you, say, two hours, right? The research will tell me that it actually only takes you one hour to do that because the other hour you're mind wandering and distracted because maybe you leave your little email flasher on. So it tells you, Bob, just finally responded to your email, right? And then you're going to have a thought pattern around Bob and that email again. If you leave your phone, I think the recent research says that just having your phone either in your visual site or on your person will distract you by 20%. So, away, right? Like turn off the notifications because every time your phone lights up, you get distracted. And every time our, you know, our brains don't work very well, like in series, like doing all these things at the same time, right? Like, like, or uh, parallel, right? With all these things at the same time, we need to just work one thing at a time. Like we cannot multitask our brain functions. And so when we are trying to do something and then we have our phone going off, we have someone coming in, we have our email flashing, we're not efficient or productive in those moments. So what mindfulness helps us as well as getting rid of some of those physical distractions, it helps us stay more focused so that we can get things done faster. So I will create more white space in your day with those mindful minutes that you can do throughout. So a lot of people, and and here's the other thing, like I I led a team of 400 people. And if I would have walked in day one and said, I practice mindfulness, so all of you will too, right? You've been in a military unit. My senior goes, right? Especially would have mutinied over that. So I started just by leading by example. I started by using language that resonated with them around performance, around like being more connected with our families and with our teammates. And then they started asking the questions themselves, right? I did teach them all about their stress response and we did learn and start with this phrase we called go to the cloud. And so what that meant was when you felt your stress response and you felt like it was overwhelming for you and you were falling into distress, we had a three-step process, which was go to the cloud and it was stop, breathe, and then focus. Like focus on what is important in that moment. And that three-step process kind of started us on this journey where then they started asking me, okay, what are we doing when we breathe? Like, what what do we do with our minds in those moments? And that offered me an opportunity to share about mindfulness. So it wasn't this like, hey, you're going to do it. It was more of creating this, leading with the science and creating their desire to be high performing and finding new resources. And uh, gosh, hidden in there, or maybe not really hidden, but but maybe some listeners, uh, uh, you know, didn't see this. There's a story in there. And I always like to say, if you want to convince somebody to to come on board, you want to influence them, put it in a story that resonates with them. And why should they care? And so I just love the fact that you're saying, let's talk about performance. And, and most of those high achievers, 
that's what they're going to gravitate toward. They're going to say, yeah, I want to hear more. I know I listened to finding mastery and I, I know Dr. Mike has a, has the same challenge when he's dealing with, you know, NFL players. And, and they say, I don't have time for, you know, being quiet with my mind. So I love the fact that, that you and, and Dr. Mike are, are looking at it in a, in a little different way and getting those high achievers, those type A personalities to slow down a little bit. Let me ask you this around this idea of story and narrative. You talk about being an anxious, anxious person. I'm also uh, an anxious person. And I like to say, and I don't know if this holds water, does anxiety live in the future? If we are staying in the present moment, does anxiety go away? Yes. In fact, some of, I, and I, and I, I have to, I can't quote the specific research around that, but you know, anxiety is that worry about or catastrophizing about the future or the worrying about the past. Right. When we bring ourselves into the moment, you might have fear, right? Fear can live in the moment because you may be doing something that, you know, I'm standing at the top of the mountain, right? About to jump off of it. So there could be like some fear of like, hey, this is a scary thing I'm about to do. But anxiety is really about what we think is going to happen or what we think about what already did happen in a unproductive way. Like if you think of your mind like an an iPod, the way that I see it, right? The play button is where we want to live. We can productively think and fast forward and plan for the future, productively think and rewind and reflect on the past. When pressure is applied, what happens on that iPod is now we're catastrophizing, right? Because we go into survival mode because if we haven't built up those psychological skills, right? We start to go into survival mode and we're uh, catastrophizing about the future or we're regretting and ruminating over the past which is where that anxiety is. And so, yeah, I think you're right. Like the more we can tap into just being in the moment, here's the other thing. How many of us live our lives, uh, stressful moment, stressful moment, stressful moment, and we make this deal inside our head and we say, as soon as I'm done with this degree or this job or this project, I'll finally take care of myself. Or as soon as I'm done with this particular position that I'm in or whatever tasker, I will finally pay attention to my family. Right? We, we do that. We, take, we make these deals. And then what happens is we hit the milestone and then there's another one right behind us. So we make another deal. And in the meantime, we miss the spaces between. And what I mean by that is where joy lives, where you see love, where you see learning, where you see laughter, right? Like we mind wander through all of those spaces because all we see is like the stressor and the stressor and the stressor in front of us. And so I know from, from my experience, I lived a lot of my life just being the stress and the hard work to the point where even at the points in my life where I had the most success, I was the most miserable, hmm. right? Because I, I couldn't see the other thing. I couldn't see that I had this loving family. I couldn't see that like there was laughter and love and friendship. And, and so I think that's the problem today that we, many of us face today is especially in, in this uncertain world of the pandemic, right? We treat it like, oh my God, I don't, I can't plan anything. So I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, none of us ever know what's going to happen tomorrow. Uncertainty is like a fact of life, right? But it seems way worse right now, (laughs) right? Because that's our perception of how we're interacting with our environment. And I think it's all we see every day is you just see that there's a pandemic going on and there's uncertainty in the world. And if you stopped for a minute and some of us just slowed down and looked around, I think we'd see that there's still laughter and there's still love 
and they're still learning and there's still like all these great things in front of us. They just get blurred out by the stressors in our life. It's funny you say that. I came up with something as I was reflecting one day that life is not about the ticking of the clock. It's about the silence in between the ticks. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that you say that because uh, I totally agree that we, I think we lose track of what, what, you know, life is passing us by and we miss it. I think that's, a, that's just a great way to kind of end this. Janelle, you, you're on a mission to, you know, help others excel in these high stress and, and rugged environments and, you know, showing them how to lean into that moment and find them be- their best selves. How can people get in touch with you if they, you know, they're going, wow, Janelle's amazing and I can't wait to work with her. How can we get a hold of you? Well, I have a website, JanelleMcCauley.com. So people can reach out to me and see what different kinds of programming I offer with corporate or, you know, uh, government clients, uh, anything from workshops to keynotes to I do some executive uh, coaching and leadership coaching. And then Warrior's Edge, if you go to compete to create.net backslash Warrior's Edge, you can find out more specific information on that program, which, like I said, uh, teaches 16 principles of the high performance mindset and offered both in workshop format or digital, scalable digital training. And then I'm on all the social media platforms. I will say I'm not the best at social media because I don't want it to dominate my day or my Good for you. (laughs) Yeah, so I I try not... I mean, I I have a presence and I do tend to try to post, you know, transformational, inspirational messages around the space of human performance as well as the recent research that comes out in the space of sleep and nutrition and mindset, mindfulness and meditation and such. But so anyone can reach out to me on those platforms as well. I'm sorry, I cut you off. No, I was just going to say that is available for individuals as well. Is that correct or is that not correct? It is. It is. Okay. Yes. Okay. And individuals can sign up for the Warrior's Edge program as well. Perfect. And those of you listening, um, if you haven't already seen all of those links and Janelle's name and everything else are in our show notes. So be able, be sure to check that out. Janelle, such a pleasure to have you on the show. We're so excited that you you took a few minutes to to share the amazing journey that not only you're on with a group of great people, but that a lot of people are on with you. And I hope uh, we help you get a few more from this podcast. But we like to ask all of our guests before we head out our one signature question, which is around mental toughness, resilience, and grit. What advice do you have for people to use any of that or all of that in their daily lives? I love that question. First, I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of mentorship versus advice. I'll just say that. So this is my mentorship I offer is train your mind and train your mind by starting that mindfulness practice, trying to do those mindful minutes, right? Like that's something that I think is easy and that we can all kind of commit to it. Just try to do at least one minute a day and then maybe build up right? So two minutes a day or three minutes a day um, and find what works for you. And then I want all your listeners to ask themselves three questions because I think that once we kind of get this mindful awareness, the next thing we do, we need to do to start layering on those, the positive thinking and the productive thoughts is to truly answer three questions for ourselves. Those three questions are, how do you define success? What are your values? And where do you find purpose? Because I think many of us go through life never truly understanding or asking ourselves and answering those questions. And if you really want your thoughts, your words, and your actions to be aligned and how you operate and behave on a day-to-day basis to be a sustainable high performer, 
you need to ask those questions and find those answers. So that's my challenge, those mindful minutes. And then asking yourself those three questions for building what I think is the core and foundation for the mental toughness and the grit and the resiliency that you guys um, are big proponents of. Boy, I'm ready to go out and be a warrior. <laughs> Love it. Great, great advice. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't, let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.